growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. No human has the right to determine what religion is valid and what religion is invalid. Only God has that right. And God, ladies and gentlemen, has declared that all religions that bypass the cross are invalid. Have you ever thought about how many religions there are in the world? The Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That means that all of the religions of the world that teach another way to heaven are false, and billions of people have been deceived by them. As we'll learn today, there is a judgment coming in the tribulation period for the false religious system of the world. And and I may have a lot to learn about God, but this I know, He will not allow His Son's death to be mocked and that there's a reckoning day coming for those who've had a part in leading people away from Him and down a path of darkness. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We're in our second week of study in Revelation chapter 17 and the judgment of the harlot. As we learned last week, the harlot, also known as the woman sitting on a scarlet beast, symbolizes or represents the false religious system of the world. Can you begin to understand why God calls this symbolic woman a harlot, a a prostitute? Can you begin to understand the way God feels about this? Because this institution of religious practices that took people away from God led them further and further away from him and a relationship with him. In the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to use the false religious system to his advantage. But as Pastor Clay is going to show us today, their love affair is short-lived and God's judgment is coming upon man's religion. We're glad you've joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Now here's today's message. Revelation chapter 17. If you brought a copy of God's Word open there, I'm going to read the entire chapter today. Last week, I read um, just, I think, the first 13 verses. Uh, Today, I'm going to read the whole thing because I'm going to try and wrap the whole thing up. But like I said, I don't think I'm going to get there. And if not, then then if the Lord tarries and we're here again next week, uh, then we'll finish up Revelation chapter 17 uh, then. But let's let's see how far we get. Revelation chapter 17. Moving on, getting towards the end of this great prophetic book. Thanks so much for being here today. Let's, uh, let's see what God's Word has to say. Uh, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead, a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, 
Verse 7, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And they are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain for a little while. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and one of the seven. And he goes to destruction. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the harlot, and will make her desolate and naked, and will eat her flesh, and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute His purpose by having a common purpose, and by giving their kingdom to the beast, until the words of God will be fulfilled." The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Revelation chapter 17. Wow, what a chapter uh, in this great book. Uh, If you were with us last week, you may remember that I said that there uh, was a uh, some things that you need to know at the very beginning, I, I think, if, if we're going to have proper interpretation of this text, a couple things that we need to, need to clarify uh, right up front. And one of the things that I said was that it's important to understand that um, in, in verse 1, the woman uh, that's sitting on the many waters, the great harlot who sits on many waters in verse 1, is the same as the woman sitting on the scarlet beast in verse 3. Uh, it's different facets of this same thing or the same person. We'll, we'll get into that. But, but it's the same uh, thing. It's the same vision, okay? Just a different part of it. The, the second thing that I said that we needed to know is that, that there were two questions that needed to be answered. And I answered those questions last week um, and then began to build a case for uh, why I came to those conclusions, why I think the text brings us to those conclusions, and why that matters for life. The two questions were this, uh, who or what is the harlot slash woman? Who is the harlot, verse 1, woman, verse 3, sitting on the beast? Who is that? And the second question was, uh, who is or who or what is the scarlet beast? 
Those, to me, are the two most important uh, questions that we need to answer because they are the central figures in this uh, chapter. You with me so far? They're the ones that are, that are coming up time and time again. Now, I gave you, as I said, I gave you those answers last week, but I want to give them to you again this week, and then we're going to pick up building this case and then hopefully draw some conclusions from it. However, for whether that's this week or whether that's next week, we're going to draw some conclusions uh, as a result of it. But let me just say, Revelation chapter 17, it is, it's a lot to take in. And, and if you're here for the first time or you're just reading it for the first time, um, it, it's, it's like, what, I, who, why, I don't just... Um, stay in uh, God's Word, let God's Word speak to you, hang with us today, and, and we'll see where it goes. The first question then was, who is the, the uh, harlot slash woman uh, sitting on the scarlet beast? That's the first question, right? The answer to that that I gave you last week is this, the harlot sitting on many waters slash woman on a scarlet beast symbolizes all of the faults religions throughout history and today. That's the definition I give. Now, if you're really sharp, you may remember uh, that my definition was a little bit different. My answer to that question was a little bit different last week. Last week, I had added to that, if you happen to have those notes, I had added to that, that that it also included the Antichrist and his false religion that is established during the tribulation period. And while the Antichrist uh, religion certainly will be a false one, and while it certainly will be judged, because of the timing of the judgments, I thought it, it could get a little confusing. And so, uh, just to kind of clarify and to simplify, I just kind of reduced the answer to that question to simply being the harlot sitting on many waters slash woman on a scarlet beast symbolizes all of the false religions throughout history and today. Now, um, if you weren't here last week and you're thinking, well, do we really have the right to, uh, uh, to say what religions are false and what religions are not false? Uh, the answer to that question quite simply is no, we do not have that right. No human has the right to determine uh, what religion is, is valid and what religion is invalid. Only God has that right. And God, ladies and gentlemen, has declared that all religions that bypass the cross are invalid. God has decided that. God has declared that. And if you were not here, I strongly suggest that you go back and listen to at least last week's message. Go to our website, go to iTunes, uh, download that message, listen to at least that last message where I spent a pretty significant amount of time building a case for uh, what I believe is a biblical and a rational argument for why God has the right to make as only one way to access to Him and why Jesus Christ is that only access to him. Now, if you do that and you listen to the message and you listen to my argument and you still have a problem with this, with the exclusivity of this claim, right? Because it, I mean, let's face it, it's a very exclusive claim. We are not because of anything ourselves, but we're saying we're right. As followers of Jesus, we're right. We're the only way. Not, not us. That didn't sound good. <laughs> He's the only way. So if you're still struggling with that, with the exclusivity of that claim, then I say this again. I said it last week, and I've said it several different ways throughout this study, and that is simply this. Uh, exalted creator and rule of the universe is not an elected office. 
Uh, God is not running for election. He's not looking for your vote or for your approval. Uh, and, and listen, I don't say that with any arrogance. I don't say that trying to be a smart aleck or anything else. I'm just saying God has made this declaration and he has made this declaration clear. And, and God is the one who's made it. Not, not man, but God has made this declaration. He's not, and I said this last week, he's not trying to please men and women. He's trying to redeem men and women. And that requires that we humble ourselves and we come his way and not our own way. The prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 45. He said, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Joel chapter 2 and verse 27 says this, I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Sure, it's an exclusive claim, but God is the one that makes it. So, the, the, the answer to the first question, who is the harlot slash woman sitting on the scarlet beast, it is, um, uh, symbolizes all the false religions throughout history and today. The second question then, and the answer to the second question, who is the scarlet beast? The answer is this. The scarlet beast symbolizes the Antichrist and his one world government established during the tribulation period. So that's the answer to the second question. Now let's dig into it, see how far we get, and, and kind of build a case for why I think the woman is the false religions of the world, the scarlet beast is the Antichrist and his empire. All right, let's get into verse 4. We'll pick it up in verse 4. I covered uh, some of this last week, or the, or the first part of verse 1 through 3. Let's get into verse 4, where it begins to talk about this woman who is clothed, the text says, uh, this woman who is clothed in purple and scarlet. Uh, she, is, she is very well off. Let's put it that way. The, this woman, whoever this is, she is very well off. She is adorned in, in scarlet and in, and in uh, purple, and she is wearing fine jewelry and all that kind of thing. Uh, as I understand it, dyed clothing in, in John's day, and as he's writing this, dyed clothing was very, very expensive. Uh, she is draped. She is covered in purple and in scarlet. She is well-to-do. Not only that, she is uh, adorned with, with with uh, precious stones and jewels and, and pearls, and she's holding a, a gold cup in her hand. It is a picture of, of opulence, isn't it? It's a picture of the success that this woman has had in the world. She has done very well. I came across this quote uh, from Hal Lindsey, and, and I thought about it a long time, and the more I thought about it, I think he's right. Hal Lindsey said this, He said, I have found this about religion. The more false a religion is, usually the more wealth it has. And the more true a religion is, usually the less material things it has. And it doesn't seem to care about it. Now, I know that... that that the, the religious system having wealth is not the only determining factor of whether it's true or whether it's false. But I can tell you this, this woman has done well. Now... Verse 5 is where I think it really begins to get interesting. Verse 5 says that this woman has a name on her forehead. 
It says a mystery. Now, some translations, and you may have a translation with you that happens to capitalize mystery. Some translations capitalize actually mystery, make that part of the name. I don't think it's supposed to be, personally, um, but there may be a play on, on words here. But on her forehead, and, this, and remember this is symbolic, this is a vision, this is what John's seeing. On her forehead is a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Well, what in the world is that all about? What, what, what is... What is that supposed to mean? This is what's on her head, whoever this woman is. And like I said, I've given you the answer what I think it is. And now we're building that case. What is this name that's on her head? Well, in order to do this, I need to give you a little bit of history lesson. How many of y'all hate history? Yeah, a few. Yeah, come on. Y'all hate. I love history. I, I love history. I, I'm, I'm a student of history. But uh, uh, you bear with me. If you hate history, bear with me. I have to give you a little bit of a history lesson. All right, remember, what we're trying to determine is John's giving a vision, it's symbolic, and he says, here's this woman, she's, uh, she's a harlot, she's sitting on many waters, and I talked about what that was, and we'll come back to it, uh, and she's sitting on, she's a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, and now the next thing he says, she's got a name on her forehead, and this this name, Babylon the Great, yada, yada, yada. So, what is, what is that all about? Here's the history lesson. According to Genesis chapter 10... The city of Babel, or Babylon, as it was later known, was founded by a man by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod was the grandson of Ham and the great-grandson of Noah. He was the establisher of and the ruler of the city of Babel. The, The name Babel, or Babel, means the gate of God. Now, Scripture doesn't say this for sure, But it is certainly implied and assumed that Nimrod, as the founder and the ruler of Babel, what would later be known as Babylon, endorsed, authorized, constructed what is known there in Genesis 10, you can read that whole story, as the Tower of Babel. Now, the Tower of Babel, um, you know, don't think it's some big... It was probably what is uh, referred to as a ziggurat. Uh, You could think of an early pyramid. And they've discovered these several places around the world. Kind of an early pyramid. The, the, The Tower of Babel was a monument to man's rebellion against God. The Tower of Babel was a a testimony of man's arrogance and man's pride. And again, I encourage you, go back and read the story in in Genesis there sometime. But the Tower of Babel was basically man's way of saying, we don't have to bow down to Jehovah God. We can make our own gods. We can make our own way. Hence this whole tower thing. And it wasn't really an idea that they could actually get to heaven. That's that's not the implication. The implication is, was that it was a symbol of of their self-sufficiency and that they could, could create and that they could do great things and that they didn't need God to do anything. Nimrod almost certainly oversaw that. Now, this is not in the Bible, but there are ancient documents that claim that Nimrod's wife, a woman by the name of uh, Sumimaris or something like that, I can't remember her name, something like that, was the first high priestess and the founder of idol worship in the city of Babel. And uh, the, some of the texts talk about some of, the, uh, some of the mystery religions of the world that had 
something to do with the true God and that led people away from worshiping true God, that led people away from uh, their, their recognition of their need for a relationship with the true God, led them away from uh, recognition that, that he was providing the way for them to have a relationship with him and that as I said earlier, bypassed the cross, that she was the founder of this, that Nimrod was the one that built this, this tower. And as a result of Nimrod and her action, as a result of the Tower of Babel, birthed that day at that time, thousands of years ago, was the false religions of the world. And, and hence the name, the mother of harlots. That, that no matter what shape or form or practice the religion took on, it was and is at its core idol worship. Because it makes someone or something God other than the true God. And so, birthed there and being birthed ever since then are the multiple religions, countless religions of the world that teach or lead people in any direction other than to God. And through the years, billions have been led down the path of darkness. I said this last week also, but can you begin to understand why God calls this symbolic woman a harlot, a a prostitute, a a whore is really what it says in, in the text? Can you begin to understand the, the, the way God feels about this? Because, because the, this, this institution of the religious practices that took people away from God led them further and further away from him and a relationship with him. And in essence, what it did was, and what it's still doing today, is making a mockery of the cross. Because what every other religion at its core, in essence, is saying is that the cross is not necessary. That you can get to God another way. You can get to God by being a good, you fill in the blank. And and I may have a lot to learn about God, but this I know. He will not allow his son's death to be mocked. And that there's a reckoning day coming for those who have had a part in leading people away from him and down a path of darkness. So, she is Babylon the great. It symbolizes the birth of idol worship that has spread throughout the world ever since then. Uh, one other thing about this woman in uh, verse 6 it says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And, and of course, John is like, he just he's, he wonders greatly at this. And, and it is, it's like, Okay, not only is this false religious system, not only is, is this harlot, it's not enough that she would desire to lead billions of people away from the one true God. That's not enough for her. She must also persecute those who have decided to follow the one true God. And we covered this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago throughout history And today and into the tribulation period, countless numbers of men, women, and children have been put to death for their faith in the one true God. She is drunk. You see the picture there? She she has just consumed so much of the blood. There have been so many who have been killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And that is true, ladies and gentlemen. You may not be a student of history, but if you do a little bit of research, you'll find out how many people have died 
because of their faith in Jesus throughout the centuries and still today in this world and into the tribulation period. It makes sense. Listen, it makes sense. Satan hates God. And so, he hates God's children. He hates anyone who would desire to follow after God that would bow their knee to the true God and not to him, that would acknowledge his sacrifice on the cross. He hates them. He would hate anyone who would who would seek to to build the kingdom of God, to share the love of God, Satan hates that and would do anything and does do anything and apparently uses his his religious harlot. I'm trying to be nicer this week. Trying to use his religious harlot to bring pain and suffering and death to those who follow Christ. You and I need to remember this. And I know in America it's not the same as other places in the world. But whatever the persecution is, whatever might come into a person's life, you and I must always remember what the Apostle Paul reminded the early church and still reminds us today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So, the persecution is and will continue. Now, verse 7. Verse 7 um, the angel begins to explain the vision. We begin to get the angel's answer to it. The angel said to me, why do you wonder? Basically, it's just the angel's way of saying, John, you don't have to wonder. I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to tell you about this harlot woman. I'm going to tell you about this beast with the seven heads and and the ten horns. I'm going to give you the answer uh, to this. And then in verse 8, we get the first clue. It says, the beast that you saw... Here here it is, was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss. Was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss. What is that about? There's there's some differences of ideas on that. I'll, I'll tell you honestly, there are some differences of opinions on that. I think one of the keys to understanding that is is remembering that this this is coming from the perspective of the angel who who is giving this vision right at the, at the beginning, at, at what historically would be right at the beginning, or will be historically right at the beginning of the tribulation period. The angel is coming from that perspective and what's going to happen in the end times and, you know, all that kind of thing. And so from the angel's perspective is, is where he's, he's coming from. You also need to keep in mind that the beast in the book of Revelation has a double meaning. It has two meanings. The beast is... First, the individual man, an individual man, a person who will rise to power during the tribulation period. A literal, actual, physical, flesh and blood man. That's the beast. And Scripture teaches that the beast is also his empire. That will be a resurrection of the old Roman Empire. So the beast is an individual, but he is also the head of this empire. And and Scripture will use the term in both ways. It will use it when he's referring just to this individual person. And it will use it when he's talking about this empire. So, who was and is not and is about to come. From the angel's perspective, as he's given this vision, this prophecy, at, at just about what's going to embark into the tribulation period, the Roman empire was not 
It, it, it was during John's time, but it would have ceased and it has ceased to exist. The Roman Empire is not around today. So it was and it is not. Prior to the tribulation period, it will not be. And is about to come up out of the abyss, which is simply a way of saying that the Antichrist, both the individual and uh, his empire, will be p- empowered by Satan. That's the idea about coming up out of the abyss, the, 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 the domain, if you will. Of Satan. So he, he was, it was, it is not now currently at this time, and it will be again empowered by the Antichrist. So that's this beast that's coming up out of uh, this, this abyss. That's who it is. And those who dwell on the earth, watch this, it says, and those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written, written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Um, in other words, what the text is saying is, and it goes on, it says that they, they wonder, but, but these people on the earth is simply referring to those who have not, not followed God, not followed the one true God, not turned to the one true God, but have instead chosen Antichrist. I do not believe, and I know that there are people that are, and maybe you're here and you're one of them, I do not believe that the text is saying that those people's uh, fate was determined before the foundation of the world. I think what the text is saying is that the book of life, which has existed before the foundation of the world, does not have their name in it because they've chosen Antichrist. They've chosen the beast. They've chosen to reject God and go another way. I know there's God choosing us and us choosing God and all that mixes together in some mysterious way. But they have rejected God and they've followed this one. And the text says when they, when they saw him, they, the text says they wondered. Now, the verb that's used in the original language, thalmatso, uh, can have several meanings. But one of the meanings is to admire. And I strongly believe that that's what's intended here in the text, to admire. Have any of you ever seen um, some of those old uh, news clips of like, uh, say, Elvis or the Beatles whenever they arrived anywhere? And the people just freaked out. Have y'all, ever, y'all seen that? Old, I mean, I know it still happens today. But with Elvis and the Beatles, it was like, dude. what? Is, what and, you know, I mean, people are like screaming and carrying and breaking down barriers and scratching and trying to tear clothing off and, and passing out from sheer excitement of being in the presence of Elvis or, or being in the presence of the Beatles. I mean, just absolute hysteria. I really believe that's exactly what's going to happen in the tribulation period. This, this Antichrist will achieve rock star status to the, to the nth degree because he will achieve what the world has been looking for. He will bring what will appear to be peace and prosperity to the entire world. And people will clamor to be in his presence. They will, they will clamor to be in and, and they will be so enamored with him that they will, and we'll see it, they will eventually bow down to him as their very God. At this point, he's, he's, he's just a great ruler. At this point, he, early in the tribulation period, he's just this guy that, that, uh, that brings world peace and, and prosperity. At this point, that's all he is. But they will eventually acknowledge him as their very God and bend their knee and bow their hearts to him. Let me get into verse 9 uh, and, and see how far we get with this. In verse 9, the angel says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. 
Here's what he says. The seven heads are seven mountains. The seven heads he's referring to are, that are on the beast. Remember, he's further explaining this beast. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Uh, now, again, there's uh, much debate over what uh, those seven heads being seven mountains, exactly what that is. But I am convinced that, uh, that it's a reference to the city of Rome. Uh, the pr- primary reason probably I believe that's what it's referring to is because the day John penned this 2,000 years ago, if, if somebody had picked up a copy of John's fresh, he'd just written this thing, and they picked up a copy of it, and they read this, uh, this part here where it, where it says, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Anybody reading that in John's day would have automatically associated that with the city of Rome. Because from its earliest foundation, the city of Rome has been known as the city built on seven hills or mountains. The word can be translated either way. So when they hear seven mountains or seven hills, they would have automatically thought of Rome. Now you have to go back to Revelation chapter 13 to find this. But in Revelation chapter 13, I built this case for why I believe that the city of Rome... As the Roman Empire is resurrected, the city of Rome becomes the, the headquarters of the Antichrist and where he establishes his rule and his kingdom begins in the city of Rome. So, he's the, the, this, uh, this scarlet beast with these seven heads are now seven mountains on which the woman sits. And, now watch this, here it goes, and they are seven kings. So there's a double meaning with the, with the whole mountain things. City of Rome, I think that's what it is. And they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. Okay, what's up with that? There are some people that believe, well, if Rome is the seven mountains on which the, the, the harlot sits then the seven kings must be seven emperors of the Roman Empire. Five before John, one during John's time, and one after John. That may be possible. That may be a, a correct interpretation, uh, by the way. Although it runs into trouble when, uh, when, John, or when the angel begins to say that, that the seventh is also an eighth and one of the seven. You'd have a little problem trying to figure that one out. I believe, and I established this again back in, in Revelation chapter 13, that, uh, that the seven mountains, city of Rome, and the seven kings represents seven kingdoms of the world that are all that the spirit of Antichrist has been influencing and been a part of. Historically, they are uh, this. They are the Egyptian, the Assyrian, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Greek, and the Roman. That would be six the seventh would be then the Antichrist kingdom established uh, during the tribulation period, which would be a resurrection of the Roman Empire. That would be the seventh. And then the Antichrist himself, who, who comes up out of that empire and, and uh, eventually declares himself to be God, he, that's how he is the eighth and part of the seven. Does that make sense? Is that clear as mud? Six, Antichrist's kingdom is seven. The Antichrist himself is an eighth. That's what, that's what the angel says. He is an eighth, but part of the seven. Because he came out of the Roman Empire. He establishes himself as God. And so he is both part of the seventh and he is the eighth. All right, good. <laughs> um, one has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain 
a little while. The beast, verse 11 says, the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven. And here's, here's the part and here's where we'll finish today. And he goes to destruction. Here's what I don't want you to miss. And he goes to destruction. Uh, the angel does what the angels have done throughout this study. He, the angel interjects again this reminder that that God is in control of this whole thing. And that no matter how chaotic it may look in the midst of it and whatever all is going on, and we're going to see some more of that next week, but that it is quite clear that God is the one who is in control of this. This We'll see his destruction in Revelation chapter 19, but the Antichrist is headed for destruction. And while the kingdom that he establishes may seem may seem powerful, and it may seem worldwide. It is, in fact, a temporary kingdom that will come crashing down actually quite rapidly. Now, in the, in the latter part of chapter 17, we're going to tie all this together because I know it's a lot. We're going to tie all this together. Um, we're going to see how, how God is putting in these pieces of the puzzle, filling in the pieces of the puzzle to help us come up with this picture in chapter 17 of what happens to the false religions of the world and, and why uh, they, they face judgment. But, bottom line, and he is headed for destruction. God is on his throne. He's always been on his throne. He's not out of control. Uh, the world is not out of his control. He is accomplishing his purpose and his timing. As we've learned today, the false religious system of the world is in for a violent end. The Antichrist may believe he's in charge, but it's clear that God is the one who is in control. The Antichrist's end will come soon enough, but today in chapter 17, it was the false religious system's turn to face judgment. Rebellious men think that they don't have to bow to the living God, but it's clear from today's message that God does not take lightly false religion. In fact, the prophet Nahum wrote, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. God's desire to see men and women come to him and to receive his forgiveness means that he is jealous for us. He doesn't want people committing spiritual adultery by chasing after other gods. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540 Exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.